So hello everyone, welcome to the Burning Eye podcast. Um, I'm joined on this very muggy, sunny Wednesday with the fantastic, ha ha ha, <laughs> Molly Naylor. Hi Molly. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me. It's very hot here. I'm wearing a jumper, but I'm very hot, you know, it's inside. How, how is it where you're in Norfolk? Yeah, it's very muggy indeed. And I go a bit I go a bit weird when it's this weather because you know you like if you're cold you can get hot and if you're hot you can get cold. But if it's muggy it feels a bit like what am I supposed to do with my body? So I'm just sort of walking around like a bit annoyed. <laughs> yeah. That is probably the best description of humid weather ever. People just wandering around a bit annoyed. Yeah. Um, a bit annoyed. Yeah, I've been sneezing loads today. I think it's been affecting my allergies a little bit with the close weather but you know fun yes but hopefully we'll all be allowed to go outside again properly soon so it will you know that will be a nice remedy hopefully so molly we're uh, talking today about uh, your new book that's just come out with burning eye stop trying to be fantastic which i remember when i read the title when you you handed it in to us and i i read it in your voice <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's a great title it's really good can you tell me a little bit more about you know the context behind the title and how you decided on it yeah well i i can't i sort of can't really take full credit for it because um i i i got the idea from i was still having a conversation with my friend amy and we were having you know one of those conversations where you like relay funny things the kids in your life have said and Amy uh, Amy knows these these girls these two sisters and apparently they're, they're sort of very funny with each other very competitive with each other and one of them was like doing some annoying like perfect girl showing off and then and then <laughs> Lorelai her sister turned to her and went oh stop trying to be fantastic and uh, and when Amy told me about that I'd sort of written most of the book by that point or written like a lot of the poems and I didn't have a title and I felt like oh it sort of really sums up like the sort of thinking I've been doing over the like around poetry but also around like my life around the kind of pressures that we put on ourselves and that I've been putting on myself for years really and how that is the sort of root of most of my unhappiness and suffering and so I felt like it was a kind of way of summing that up but there was also a bit funny and silly rather than an because uh, it's a very I feel like it's quite an earnest book like I think my stuff's always quite funny but like I really mean this book do you know what I mean yeah and so I was like I really want a title that's like you know, doesn't take itself too seriously because I think I take myself, I try not to take myself seriously, but do you know what I mean? You know, you know when you've done like a bleeding heart book and you're like, how can I remind myself that I'm a silly Billy with yeah. this title? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a great follow on from Badminton, which came out in 2016 with Badminton. It was, yeah, which is four years ago, which is a long time, isn't it? Like, yeah. it was definitely a time for a new book, but it took me a while to get to it. But it's, yeah, it's really nice to have another one out in the world with you yeah. guys. Yeah, it's great to obviously have you back with us. And um, you've got that wonderful quote from Sarah Pascoe on the front of it, which I think really does sum up the collection well. You don't really need a blurb with it. I think that really sums it up really well and, and like reading it back it has all of the um molly Naylor sentiment to it and like you were saying about being earnest but trying not to take yourself too seriously i think that comes across really well in this book i really like what you've done with it and there's a lot of visualization of your personal life so if you didn't know molly you would get a lot of that from the the writing you know it's not a it's not a caged book in that way it's yeah and I think it's like sometimes I guess I feel when I read 
other people's work that doesn't do that at all I I really like it and I go oh yeah like obviously I'm aware that you can write poems about things other than yourself but I sort of forget to do that and then but but also that's not quite true like whenever I do try and do that I don't ever like the poems as much um and I think my favorite I think we write the poems that we want to read, right? Like we write yeah. the stuff that we want to, uh, we, we make the art that we want to consume. And uh, I always want to hear about people's like gross bits, people's like innermost thoughts, people's like weird little contradictions, all of that stuff. And so that's what I share. Obviously it's not everyone's cup of tea because sometimes people aren't, as in, aren't interested in like sharing that or absorbing that, but uh, that's my bag. So there we go. And I just thought like, I'm going to do a book where I don't apologize for that. And I don't, I don't sort of try not to do that, you know, and obviously that my, my practice and my themes and my preoccupations may change in my next book, but they show no sign of doing so. <laughs> Stop like trying to be fantastic is a really good uh, mix in with the rest of the, the books that we have going on this year. So as part of what's been happening with COVID, we've obviously uh, delayed a lot of our schedule and only doing two books a month which we're actually quite into and might continue to do from now on instead of trying to cram five books into one month as we've done before um and i really like the the position of you and afshan's uh, redesire coming out in in june because i think they're both very summary books but in very very different ways and if anyone's seen molly perform the the tone in which you are reading the poems is probably the tone that Molly is. Like there's, it's quite frank on the page, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And because I'm, I've, I've done lots of shows, but I'm not, I'm not an actor. You know, I, I did go to drama school, but I sort of learned quite quickly that I didn't want to be an actor and I wanted to be a sort of t- a storyteller in other ways. Um, so I, yeah, I don't have any performance skills in terms of like. I don't know, like taking on characters or doing a kind of persona. Um, I feel very comfortable now, just got to the point where I feel comfortable being, you know, myself on stage or a version. It's all a version of ourselves, isn't it? It's always like a performance, but it feels like a performance that is quite, uh, I don't want to use the word authentic, so I think it's a bit bandied around, but um, you know what I mean? It feels like, I feel nowadays, I feel like when I get off stage, I feel like, oh yeah, that was me on stage. Whereas I think when I first started out, I felt like, Oh, I don't know who that was, but she was a bit annoying. (laughs) (laughs) I think any performance poet can totally relate to that, you know, and there's a lot of discussion around like mimicking people when you first start out and like whether that's good or bad. And I'm generally someone that's like, we all do it. That's how we find our own voice. You know, we find our voice in the reflection of someone that we want to be like. But like you were saying there, like, it's really good to get to a point as a writer and be like, great, this is actually my voice. Yeah, coming off that stage and being like, yeah, that was me. That was great, you know, rather than being satisfied with it. And I think when you do that, then you don't really care then if people like it or not, because it's sort of, you don't have a choice. You know what Mm. I mean? It's like, well, that's just what I did. And, And it's totally fine. Whereas I think when I'm starting out, I think, because it felt all a bit more tenuous and a bit sort of more precarious in terms of like, what is my persona? What is my personality even? Then, then, then because you can change and shift around, it's sort of easy to think, oh, if I was a bit more like this, maybe I'd be more likable. And now I'm just like, oh, I'm so tired and I just don't care. You know, like it's not <laughs> important to me anymore. Or you just have to accept, don't you, that you're not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to do that early on in your career. And then it's so liberating when you can. 
Yeah, I think you can, this book is definitely has a laid back quality to it. Like, yeah, I just don't care. This is, this is who I am. Babington had a bit of a darker edge, I feel. I know, like, I didn't really think that at the time. And then I looked at it the other day and I was, because I was like comparing them and I was like, yeah, wow, it's quite sad. Like, uh, it's funny, isn't it? You look at these chunks of your life and you realise in retrospect that you were sad in a way that you didn't realise at the time, you know, or, mm. or like, I knew I was a bit sad at times, but like, that it's so kind of like, it's like, uh, I'm, it's like the book is like a letter to myself going like, can you help me out of this situation? <laughs> Whereas I don't feel like this one is, I don't feel like I'm going to look back on this one and be like, wow, she was sad um, so much, but I'll, I'm sure I'll look back and think something about her, the person who wrote that, but I don't know what it is yet. I'll find out, I guess, in four years when we do this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I look forward to that conversation about this one. Yeah. The book is, um, a little bit shorter than badminton it's 48 pages which is that like weird in between in between pamphlet and, and full size collection i'm doing inverted comments for people that can't see very 90s um <laughs> and, uh, just um i've lost my train of thought because i was really excited about the what was i talking about i will edit this out uh, <laughs> no please don't um about a uh, pamphlet and full collection yeah so um I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people choose to either do the pamphlet or full collection. And I'm just sort of wondering, like, was it your intention to do something that was purposefully in between? Or were you just like, this is how many poems I, I can't write anymore. This is it. So, no, what, well, yeah, that, that's in, interesting because I originally had, I had a lot more, but also the ones I had were longer. And I felt like I was really stuck for ages in this place of, so I'm also doing, well, I was supposed to be doing a show in Edinburgh this year called Stop Trying to Be Fantastic, right? So it was kind of spoken word version of the show, um, or of the book, sorry. And, and so because of that, I felt like, well, most of the things that I perform on stage are going to be in the book because that makes sense. But then as I started to work on the book more and more and more, and I, and I worked with Kate Clanchy on, on the poems, who you know is a brilliant writer, but also she works a lot with she does a lot of editing and works with young people and lots of different people and, and I just heard by reputation that she was a great editor and so I decided to work with her and then it was it was just really nuts because she just helped me and obviously it was up to me you know but she was she was brutal about some of the pieces and was really like showed this showed me this sort of completely new way of looking at a poem for the page and um, condensing it and taking the heart of it and the, the point of it and so when I started to work in this new way I felt like wow I am I'm gonna not include some of the ones that I thought I was going to include and they are going to stay as performance pieces because they work as performance pieces and historically I felt like you know and everyone feels differently about this about the distinction between the two forms and I think there's no wrong or right answer and there's nothing wrong with kind of performing a show and then basically printing that exact show mm. people love that but it felt like for the first time I was thinking about the page differently and trying to create these little works that were just absolutely performing for themselves rather than, oh, that's the thing I performed and here's a sort of record of it. And I found that process really interesting and really challenging. Um, and it, but it meant that I cut, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good stuff or a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor or a lot of stuff that will make it into the show, but then won't make it into the book. And then I felt really weird about that. Cause I was like, well, what if someone comes to see the show? I mean, obviously not a problem now. Um, but if they, <laughs> if they did, um, then, then they maybe, I would die. I was like, what if they, then they buy the book and then they're disappointed because the, the book is different. And then I thought, actually it's, 
maybe that's cool because they're sort of getting something entirely different and it's the themes are the same but the book's almost like a different way of looking at the themes a different way of organizing thoughts and themes and then the show something else that really needs to just be a show and needs to be just one hour and you know and sort of temporary thing so I think that's how it ended up being the the length it was um and I and I think I feel good about that when I first saw a copy I was a bit like wow this is slight this is a short book but actually it feels like seeing all the space on the page it feels like that it's really important actually and they really wanted to breathe those those poems yeah I was saying I was doing a read through I was reading back through it earlier and one of the things that I noticed about this collection is that every line and every word is purposeful. Like you could tell that you've gone through an editor and they've kind of done that with you. Like, like you say, like every poem serves its purpose on the page. And I'm a huge fan of a small poetry collection where it's just one poem per page and not like a big run along. And I think that's very accessible to a lot of people, um, especially people that are not particularly maybe into poetry that might pick up the book and get the point in like 11 lines. Yeah, me too, I love that as well. And yeah, and it, it can be daunting when you see a poem that goes over onto the next page. And I, there was a lot of that in badminton. There was a lot of like two page poems that, yeah. So it's pleasing to me that I think none of them go over the page, yeah. which is, yeah, very exciting. <laughs> Low bar for excitement over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all in quarantine-ish, aren't we? Mm. Everything's exciting right now saying about um stop trying to be fantastic being more um you know earnest and more about you and not using the word authentic um was there like part like any parts of it that were quite difficult to write in terms of pushing yourself to the next level of being like okay I've got this base amount of poems but now I have to dig deeper sort of got you at a moment I remember because I think I can't remember when I gave it to you guys but I think it was sort of October maybe and I remember in the summer last year I was you know I was finishing off and then I I had this like flurry of pieces that I wrote in response to things that were happening in my life at the time and that felt quite quite scary and revealing because normally you know often with me I have more of a longer period of reflection and I'll be reflecting back on something that's happened maybe a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago or that's just a concept and it wasn't autobiographical um and there's a safety in that isn't there because you've had time to process it you know think about it reflect and do that sort of dynamic introspection that you know is very like good for creativity and and being alive and with a few of these there wasn't that gap and I was like oh is that okay is that does that mean these are going to be bad or like or I'm going to end up misrepresenting myself because I might change my mind come October and then they'll be in the book um and so I don't know like how I feel about that now but it was definitely a sort of I feel like you know when people describe writing as brave and you're like what does that actually mean but I I Mm. do feel like I'm not saying from an outside perspective this is a brave book but I don't I do know that like I personally I did take risks in this book that I don't think I've done before in terms of that sort of level of honesty and that raw honesty where you you haven't sort of metabolized it and thought about oh how am I going to put this into a clever line it was like oh this is how I feel right now and let's who knows if I'm going to feel like that in November but that's that's just what's going on for me and now it's now it's in a book so and I think I feel okay about that because well I've done it now haven't I Bridget so it's (laughs) can't can't take it back sorry it's in print now yeah out in the world people own copies of the book 
And if you didn't know, there's still a few first 100. So it's uh, were, uh, the 100 copies, first 100 copies to get sold, um, get a postcard with the, with the book. And there's still some of those left. So if you rush, literally rush to Molly's website or to the Burning Eye website, you can get a copy with, with a nice little postcard in there. It's very beautiful postcard that the cover artist Christy Campbell made and it's got a like bonus poem, one of the poems that didn't make it into the collection because it's a performance piece, but it's a piece that um, when I perform it, people always say, oh, is this, this in your book? And I'm like, oh no, but now it's kind of its, its own little little piece. And also it's on, it's on my YouTube channel, but it's, and I really wanted to include that poem in because it's, sort of does, it's called You're All Right and it does sum up some of the themes of the book quite nicely, but again, it just felt like it was this long, unwieldy performance piece mm. that on the page, it just, it just looked a bit garbage, you know, it just, I just couldn't find a way to make it sing on the page. So now it's its own little bonus kind of prose poem, which I think works. Yeah, and I like that idea of, of finding other ways in which to get those extra pieces out and to give people a little bit more, you know, behind the collection or whatever. Obviously, as, as a press that publishes performance poets, obviously the book being the main thing that we're like, this is for your promo, so you can go off and do tours and stuff like that. But, you know, the amount of people that make tote bags and, and uh, like, like you postcards and extra exclusive videos. I mean, lots of people are using Patreon and things like that now, so they can give extra. But I really like that idea of not putting everything into the book and saving some for like, uh, that are like little secret pieces almost. Like when I did my first pamphlet, I had a very popular, well-known poem that was, yeah, like a long kind of ranting paragraphy thing that was on the page. It just didn't, just didn't fit on the page. It didn't fit in the book. But everybody was like, oh, this, is that poem in the book? And I was like, no, it, it, didn't, it didn't go in the book. But it, it follows most of the themes of the poems in the book. So just being able to just perform that would, was great because it was just like an extra little thing that people... Right. Yeah. And I think that's a nice thing because it's like, you know, you, then it's, you, you're sort of holding something back and you've got something, something like a bonus. And sometimes people think that they want to read a poem and you're like, well, trust me, I've had a little look at it on the page and you don't, but there's yeah. other places for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I often talk about this, like, uh, idea of like, you have your live version and then you've got your album version and sometimes you don't, you have one or the other and sometimes you have both you know so some, yeah I love that I'm gonna steal that yeah sometimes it's about trying to find a way to put that onto the page and I think there are numerous ways of doing this now the amount of people poets that are experimenting on the page with with performance poetry and things like that I think it's totally possible but I also agree with you in the sense that yeah that holding back is is special I think and it allows that poem to have its own identity yeah ab absolutely and then and and I think it's really nice to have a book as like a consistent thing as well and if I'd have put that poem in or a, a sort of something more spoken wordy then it would have felt like oh it's a different book you know whereas the book now it's like one thing and I think that's a really lovely thing what, whatever that is you know I think having it as a, a whole holistic thing is a really yeah. feels good so it must be a very weird time to release a book in the middle of of this pandemic obviously everything's been cancelled things are starting to come back in now I mean I have to admit that's giving me a bit of anxiety now that things are starting to open again I'm like oh but I've just got used to being inside all the time but I've been really enjoying like uh lots of podcasts and online events that people have been doing and like Burning Eye have been doing some um Instagram live um book launches and things like that 
how are you feeling about the the terrain at the moment it's certainly strange i feel i mean obviously checking my privilege from the like out of the gate because i'm really lucky and in, in that i'm like i'm not sort of too worried about money and stuff at the moment which is a real you know so so lucky to not have to sort of worry about the basic things i was at the beginning i think everyone was sort of wigging out at the beginning and now i'm kind of yeah like settled into a sort of way routine um but if i start thinking if i start thinking big and if i start spending too much time on social media sort of reading other people's panic i start to panic a little bit and think about the future and think about like what because it feels it's funny isn't it because everything's opening up now or starting to but what's not opening up and what's never not going to be opening up for you know for who knows when is is our stuff so like you know shops are opening and um takeaways and you know like so for a lot of people like their life can sort of start to almost get back to what they considered normal but like for us you know like my life was like gigs pubs shows and now and, and that's like well when's that happening so it does feel like everything's on pause and it feels like I've you know I've never felt like less of a key worker and that is absolutely fine to, to sort of have a little look at your own place in society and your you know your responsibility and your, what you contribute and I think it's good to realize that that isn't maybe hugely significant at the moment but then it sort of opens up some questions of like well then what does that mean like how do how do I find a way to be useful and what's our responsibility in this time should we just is it okay to just be sort of knuckling down and making work or should I be sacking it off and you know doing something that's actually going to serve my community and my society in a very like now way rather than just going well maybe in three years I'll do an Edinburgh show <laughs> if there's a vaccine you know <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of urgency right now. And I remember talking to you before when your book first came out with, I think, there's so much happening right now that it's very easy to sort of feel like my book will get lost in the flow of everything. But I think you mentioned earlier before I started recording that, that people need poetry and they need art to make sense of the world and to escape from it as well. And I really hope that this digital renaissance that's not the word I'm looking for but I like it renaissance um, I love it of like doing online gigs and digital gigs and and utilizing live platforms more is is really exciting especially for people that cannot go to gigs for accessibility reasons or you know mental health reasons so I really hope that there there becomes this hybrid when things go back to normal do you know what I mean that's that's a lovely a lovely thought and I think you're right and I think yeah absolutely for accessibility and um yeah mental health and and also just like time saving as well like you know there are so many things I think we as we default don't we to kind of doing it in in quote unquote like real life mm. and actually like you you're right you know having a meeting in real life uh you know like people coming from all over the you know the country potentially like spending money like driving in their cars some people you know it being a really really challenging for them to get to for for those accessibility reasons like you know that it, it's like now we can do things like this and it's totally fine and um, and so i think we we really should and we just hopefully just think about it a little bit more and then and then actually if those those times when we can sort of connect in real life they they they, they are more valuable potentially do you know what i mean because we're not sort of traipsing around like trying to optimize every moment and sort of moving from coffee shop to coffee shop and meeting to meeting. It's like, nope, I'm just in my pajamas and I'm going to have one meeting. <laughs> this is my one work thing of today and I love it. Yeah, me too. 
I well, we'll see what happens. Really, I mean, it's a bit of a, a mixed bag right now. Um, how how you, how do you feel personally about doing online events? I mean, because a lot of them, a lot of it's unpaid right now. Obviously, there's not a lot of money going around, and people are because this is a lot of new territory. Like people are a bit confused about whether they should be paying people to do online events or how much they or where. How how do you make it work in a practical and yet accessible way? And I think yeah, seeing online gigs that are seven pounds is almost like oh god that's so expensive for like an online gig but then again it's that putting yourself in the mindset that we should be valuing these things at that price because the artist still needs to get paid at the end of the day right and I, I'm finding actually the online stuff like much harder to do than than like rocking up to a pub and doing a 20 minute set or whatever it is like because there's something like when you get on a bus or drive your car to a venue to do a gig like that's it's sort of all baked in as that process of kind of getting yourself geared up and then knowing you're going to connect with people in this sort of tangible way and you know there's no you don't have to sort of get yourself into a mindset whereas when you're doing it in your house it's so strange to kind of you know the energy I think and the effort it takes to sort of convince yourself to do it like it well I guess it's like you were saying it's just it's just new so I, d I know what the protocol looks like for me going to a venue and doing a gig like I know what it looks like to drive to Colchester Art Centre say hi guys I'm here blah 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 have a beer do my show but I don't know I haven't got a system yet for doing that in my front room and so it feels weird and then and then when it's over I feel flat you know and that's maybe indicative of actually how how selfish like my relationship with my work is and that like I do it to get to, for the way it makes me feel you know and I've been really, <laughs> thinking about that it's like wow am I only doing this because it makes me feel good but you know that's what gigs do they make everyone feel good and I, do, I can't pretend that I feel that way after an online gig and mm. um, maybe that'll change uh, and I but I really feel when I'm watching one I do you know I, I, I do feel I do love it and it does feel quite special especially if I'm like watching with a friend you know and we're like texting and so I'm, uh, you know if, if it's good for the audience then that's great and hopefully as the artist will find a way to kind of feel feel like jazzed about it maybe yeah. I just need to drink more alone that's been working for me yeah <laughs> I've been like seeing people like put on literally like a full face of makeup and like heaps and everything and they're like ready for my show and I like do a show and I'm like naked from the bottom down like yeah I think maybe you know. you're right maybe it's like yeah it's gotta you've got to get like the same routine going that you would get if you were I think so I think in the green room I think that's the key is you know getting doing the routine getting yourself ready to do an online gig and and I think being prepared to know, like being aware that you know that you're going to feel flat afterwards and try and have something prepared for you that, that like a treat or like a glass of wine or a phone call with yes. something immediately afterwards that can kind of, kind of ground you into that. That's such a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Because when it's, it's the same as when we first started doing live gigs, you know, you did, you practice, don't you? And you get used to it and you take a friend. So, cause you know, you're going to feel weird and you know, you're going to feel nervous. So I guess it's exactly the same thing. It's just giving it some thought. Yes. Thanks. This is making me feel like really motivated. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really hard. Like I, you know, I think as well, because we, we, as performers, we rely so much on uh, audience participation and their reactions. And I've seen you perform your work before and there's a lot of laughs there 
you know, and a lot of like audience reaction from like, you know, killer lines and stuff that you've got in your poems because you've got some killer lines. I was chatting to Tina Sederholm about this and that lack of having that there is so difficult to then, what if you're writing new stuff for performance, like, because you're like, I can't test this out. So I don't know if this part is going to land or not. And, you know, so like you say, like you take a risk because you, when you do online performance, like there's nobody, unless you've got all of the mics unmuted you know you you can't hear people's reactions so you just have to kind of have the confidence that it's there maybe that'll be good for us though or for some of us as well because I feel like especially yeah especially when you're not like I don't know like a straight white man I do, I do think you know you're like socialized to be a little more I know I'm speaking really generally here but like so I should probably just speak to myself for myself. Like I've been, I feel like I was sort of socialized to be like, you know, quite a people pleaser and quite kind of like, mm. um, war, you know, sort of thinking about what the people think. And so actually maybe for, for some people, it will be really good to take that risk and kind of just go like, I don't know if this is good, but I'm gonna, I, I have, I'm forced to have that sort of re different relationship with it and just go, yeah, like, let's just do it and see what happens rather than be constantly because an audience tell, can only tell you so much anyway you know and there's probably times when like perfectly beautiful poems have been thrown in the bin because it was a quiet audience or you know mm. or something weird happened that night it was actually nothing to do with the work so maybe there's some strength to be to be gained from from not having that immediate feedback actually which is yeah. not something I thought I'd find myself saying <laughs> yeah that immediate validation is um yeah I think that, that kind of goes back to what you're saying about performing because you love it because it makes you feel good about yourself. Like when, I don't know if you did this, I definitely did as a kid, but you know, would act out scenes from Disney films and just for myself and chat to myself. And I've been doing a lot of talking to myself since I've been isolating for like 10 days, a lot of talking to myself, but like being your own like producer and director and creative input person and like it's, it's quite fun actually I quite like it it's um it's it's weird but like you say it's nice not to have to re rely on all of these other people to get you to the next bit and you're like no I've got the time I can sit here and work through it um yeah you know. and sometimes you're the expert uh, or mm. you know it's, it's or it's a useful thought to have to think that you are and you're an expert on especially with poetry because it's so personal and it's so you know it's so silly it's it's kind of yeah maybe maybe sometimes too many cooks you know and it's yeah. good to just be like I'm just Bridget acting out the Lion King or whatever it was <laughs> <laughs> I'm Molly acting out Grease too. <laughs> yes 100% <laughs> I, I you are not the the first person that week to email me and then at the bottom write something about Grease too and about their personal relationship to Grease too. I well I find it very exciting that you're writing about Greece 2 because uh so many people haven't seen Greece 2 and <laughs> I feel like Greece Greece 1 is like obviously a big cultural phenomenon and you know mo a lot of people know most of the songs and yeah and but for me Greece 2 had a much bigger impact on me and that wasn't just because of like my sexual awakening around Michelle Pfeiffer it was oh, just God, more yeah. like it's just a very strange story but like it sort of does still hold together just about and, it's, uh, it's, and it's, don't you think that it's so much more rigidly sexist than the first one like like the, the in the first one there's nothing explicit about the pink ladies only being able to go out with the t-birds whereas in the second one that's like basically the main driving point of the film and i just think yeah is that a a, a, a symptom of the time that it was made because obviously it was made like 20 years later like in the 90s 
it was it it just feels very that part feels very weird i think you're right because you would, think that that way would be less that way out yeah if they're going to re revolve you know change up the, the the gender characters you know in terms of who's the rebel yeah. that that might have relaxed but actually it's like they've almost tried to like make up for the fact that michelle pfeiffer is so powerful by making the t-birds even more misogynistic <laughs> Right, and then that dreadful, dreadful scene in the in the bunker, oh, you know, it's just know. a kind of, you know, needs to be a, a in a, a kind of like public education movie around consent. It really it's does. Just horrific. <laughs> so bad. So bad. It's so bad. Yeah. But the bowling song. Oh is... my god. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. So basically, anyone that's that's not following me on Twitter or anything, I'm writing a poetry collection about Greece and Greece too. And that's what we're talking about right now. And we've gone completely off subject of Molly's book. So I'm going to rein it back in now and be like, Molly, <laughs> would you like to read us a poem from, from Stop Trying to Be Fantastic? Sure. Um, I don't have a request. Okay. I want to hear your, your personal favourite or one that is sticking out to you today. Oh, well, I'll read this one because it's sort of relevant to what we were just talking about with like misogyny and culture and things. So um, this is a poem about the film Pretty Woman or well, sort of based off of that because Pretty Woman was the first film I watched ever, like the first film I saw other than like, so I was watching like Animals of Farthing Wood and stuff. Um, but then my, I don't know, we just went a very like filmy household. Um, and then I had this, I made this friend and she was, I made one friend, no, I had some other friends, but I made this new friend and she, um, and she was just like, she was my TV friend, you know what I mean? And her mum would, would go out down the pub and then we'd, we'd just watch films on Saturday night and it was so exciting to me because I've never done this. And she, and we watched Pretty Woman when I was like, I don't know, nine or something. When I wrote this poem, I was thinking about just the ways in which the culture shapes you and the ways in which Hollywood shapes you in ways that you don't know. Do you know mm. what I mean? I feel like there are some things that we are aware of in terms of the impact they're having on us. And some things are so deep that it takes years to kind of undo those like institutionalized narratives and the impact they have on you. So this is sort of about that. Um, and it's called Pretty Woman. I spend countless years aspiring to be rescued. Then flip it, focus on fixing tricky boys. Then ecstatically maudlin, finally work out how not to see Richard Gere in my periphery, how to be decent to myself. I turn autonomous holy, deconstructing love actually, pretending it comes naturally. And now, first half done, there's this drabness to life which makes me not want to have sex. I hope there is a way to make this drabness hot so I can be fucking my way through the second half, fatter and glad, finally free from what Hollywood taught me. Yay! Clapping! <laughs> applause! Maybe we all just need to get like some canned applause on the go at the end of each performance when we're doing online stuff. Maybe that is the simple answer to things, who knows? I think that's it. Just, yeah, just adulation in a can. Yeah, I really like that poem as well. I really, I remember reading that when I was reading through the collection and like, it really reminds me of like, yeah, unlearning heteronormat heteronormativity and like being queer and, and kind of like not knowing 
from a very young age that you're queer, but like kind of figuring it out when you're a bit older and suddenly all your favorite films are just terrible. <laughs> and you're like, oh, but okay. yeah. Um, yeah, and like the comfort that I used to get from films, from romantic comedies has pretty much, it's, I'm, I'm sort of pretty much unable to watch them now because of, you know, because of the, the patriarchy and, and the heteronormativity, it's sort of, and I know that sort of, you know, that makes me a massive, a massive killjoy in so many ways when it's like, oh, can't we all just like lie around and eat, eat junk food and watch this? And it's like, no, because it's actually making me feel bad in my soul now. Whereas I think I used to be able to just watch it and kind of be, you know, sort of switch off and go, well, it's just silly billies. It's fine. But actually it's like, it's yeah something like love actually you know it's 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 so bad um if you watch it now through your new eyes and so mm. i'm like do you know what so we uh, in lockdown me and my friends um etta and betty have started a queer cinema club where we're just trying to watch you know or just put different content into our brains to mm. try and yeah just sort of shift out because you know we all have a sort of male gaze in us because of the way we've been indoctrinated into the patriarchy so it's like we've got to actually do work to shift that's like it's not enough to just be like oh, i don't think pretty woman's an amazing film it's like uh, so what are you gonna put in your head instead yeah yeah i definitely think that i think i definitely tried to like push those films out of my head like you say i mean even like almost 10 things i hate about you i'm like okay goodbye <laughs> But, but for every every pretty woman, there's a Romeo and Michelle particle reunion. There's a the craft, you know, and and I really yes. like that. I think that's really cute. I mean, my friend Paul also have like a queer film club, and you know, we watch stuff like Now and Then and Steel Magnolias and just things that are like uh, they they critique that that misogyny in their own way by yeah. uplifting the women of the film. And I really I really love stuff like that. So. Yeah, even though it's difficult to... But it's the same about unlearning anything, isn't it? You're like, oh, all these things, I have to uproot them in my life to make change. But like you say, it's it's good change. The things that you then fill your head with are things that represent who you are now, and it's a lot more comfortable and affirming to watch those things. Yes! Yeah, absolutely. And you then you feel like you're just more sort of in alignment with who you are, you know, with your values, and you're not sort of constantly, like, tempted temporarily pressing pause on your values yeah 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 yeah. compromising and, and swallowing swallowing it and being like okay uh, i hope that your queer film club continues and you should do you guys do reviews you should review stuff we do we sort of have a chat afterwards and then we give all give it a mark but I, I felt like we wanted to keep it very sort of low and like pressure mm. so that it actually sustained and it has done so far so yeah we just have like a little back and forth and then we just all decide what it's called rather than doing a formal review we, we last time we watched but i'm a cheerleader have you seen that that's like one of the most iconic films ever i remember watching it's that quite so young good. and being like am i gay <laughs> <laughs> and then i just ignored it for another 10 years <laughs> cool. but it's a great film it's on netflix prime i'm um, not netflix prime amazon prime at the moment i think yes it's perfect i it's love it and natasha leone is just out of this world well, I'm really glad that you've been having good queer film times and replacing Pretty Woman in your life. Thank you so much for chatting with me today about the book. Um, Thank you. It's really nice to see you. You too. And, um, yeah, and it's good to, yeah, it's been a treat. And you guys, um, you guys have been so obviously great to work with because I've worked with you before, but it's been really nice to get to work with you again. And thank you for all of your support um, during this very strange time.
such a weird time such a weird time well i'm really glad that we've been able to help and put the book out for you um and if you want to find more for molly you can visit mollynaylor.com and is your web store dot bandcamp yes that's right and uh you can find molly on twitter and all the usual places um that's it from us so i'm gonna say goodbye molly see you soon yeah thank you Bridget.